That's so true. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are awesome, and your glory is displayed in your works, and we thank you that you've created us in a way that we might enjoy you and your works and and even reflect you being made in your image. And we thank you for the creativity you've given to us and the joy it is to to exercise it. And we pray that we would uh, do that uh, thankfully and we would do that for your glory and honor and, and not our own. So we thank you for all these good things. We thank you for your New Testament church, which we're studying in the display of power and grace that we see in your workings. Lord, how we, we long to see uh, your work uh, appear to us in our generation in a mighty way as you did in generations in the past. Lord, we, we ask you to do that and to take note of how your name is ignored and how we're a nation full of idols, Lord, uh, no doubt. We're, we, are, we are as full as many idols as any ancient culture ever was. And yet your people are here, we're here, and the church of our Lord Jesus Christ cannot be halted or destroyed. And we thank you that you've made us part of his body. Lord, we we pray for Vic uh, tomorrow with his surgery on on the back of his neck, Lord, that you would that you would heal him and bring a a permanent outcome and solution here. We thank you for our dear our dear fellow elder uh, in in a great great measure. We ask you to bless him, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, okay, we're in the New Testament history. Good evening, folks. Glad you could join us. Uh, there's a few pages of notes over here that you might want to grab, or why don't one of you grab grab some notes for our visitors here? <clears throat> we're over on page 276 is, is where we're starting on the left-hand column. And we're in the book of Acts, working our way through the New Testament. Uh, so... As we work our way through the New Testament, and we've just been up here to, if you look at our diagram up here, we're in the early years of the New Testament church, and this whole period we're in is maybe somewhere between two to four years. All of the events that are that are happening from Acts, the first seven chapters of the book of Acts, those events all happen within, I don't know, maybe three or four years. And so where we stopped last week is we were in Peter's Pentecost sermon. In Acts chapter 2, Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. And we're going to pick it up there right toward the end of that sermon. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, down here in around verse 40, I'll put it up on the screen for you here. We were right here. Luke, you know, wrote the book of Acts, and 
Luke summarized Peter's sermon there in verse 40, and with many other words, he, that is Peter, testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And we spent some time explaining what Peter meant by be saved from this perverse generation. He's talking about unbelief, the hardness and the unbelief of the people of Israel. So uh, <clears throat> I, won't, I won't review that very much, but um, that's, that's just very significant, and, and I, 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 I'm not going to review it. Um, so beginning there in verse 41, we, we have this amazing thing. There are like 3,000 men and women are converted on that day one of the church being founded, on that Pentecost. Verse 41, let me just read these verses. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Truly amazing. Uh, the them here probably means added to the 120, right? How many disciples were there prior to this? Well, we know there were 120 in the upper room, right? So all of a sudden, we're going from 120 to 3,120. And that's the result. What's that the result of? That's right. That's the result of the Holy Spirit being outpoured on the day of Pentecost. And Peter alluded to that in his sermon. And so Luke gives us a little description then. Uh, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of the bread and in prayers. Let's, let's just work on that paragraph a little bit here this morning. So this evening... <laughs> The apostles realize many of them received the word of God. Just think of it. There's this big crowd, and finally Peter stops preaching, and everybody doesn't scatter. There's at least 3,000 people that are still hanging around. And they are engaged with the other 12 apostles and the other disciples. And so when the preaching's over... Nobody leaves. Well, some of them left, but 3,000 people are still there, and they are now engaging the 12 apostles. And what are they, you know, they, they want to repent. They, need, they want their sins forgiven. They don't know what to do because we saw they what? They were cut to the heart, weren't they? They were cut to the heart because why? What did they realize? Yeah, they realized, Doreen, they realized they crucified the Messiah. They, they, they rejected the Christ. And, and they actually, they received Peter's, um, Peter's preaching, Peter's telling them that they crucified and rejected the Messiah. And they didn't, they're undone. They don't know what to do. And so uh, Peter told them what to do. And they're interacting now. And as they're interacting with these folks, this is one of the things they, they realize. They what? Gladly receive Peter's word. They receive the word of God. That's the evidence that they were converted. 
That's the evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. They gladly received his word. Okay? So, and that's the evidence of their repentance, isn't it? Peter told, they asked, what shall we do? What must we do? And Peter said, repent. So, they're repenting. And they're asking this question themselves, you know, what have I done? Knowing full and well they knew what they had done. They had, they had remorse, right? They felt remorse for what they had done. They are the ones needing remission of sins, and they know it. They are the ones who need to separate from their perverse, unbelieving generation. They're the ones that need to separate from that generation. For they, for they themselves have acted wickedly. Now, the other thing is, they are willing to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay. Then those who gladly received his word, what, were baptized. And we know that that is a baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. So, <clears throat> they are in an environment which they know is hostile toward this name, don't they? They know <laughs> this man, Jesus, was crucified uh, 50 days ago, <laughs> right? They know how much hatred and rejection was poured upon this man, Jesus, and yet... They are now willing to be completely associated with him. They're willing to be baptized in Jesus' name. They're willing to associate in this hostile environment. They're willing to associate with Jesus. See what I'm saying? That's That's a powerful confession of their faith, isn't it? You know, not only that, it's Jesus of Nazareth, right? We've been emphasizing that. They're being baptized in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. A man attested by God to you by God, by miracles and wonders, Peter had said. So, so in this Jewish setting, to be baptized in Jesus' name is their confession of faith that the despised Jesus of Nazareth is what? Lord and Christ. Remember, let me back up in verse 36 from last week. Peter told them right here, right? Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So, their being willing to be baptized is they now believe this Jesus is Lord and Christ. And uh, obviously, uh, they are repenting, aren't they? They're repenting from their unbelief. And now they believe this man is the Messiah. So there's their repentance. 
So now it's clear that these um, 3,000 conversions were the work of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Those two things. Those conversions are the result of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And that's always the case. And I believe our generation will not be preserved or recovered by anything short of a renewed number of real conversions from cultural Christianity and secularism. Okay. Uh, what we need is what's on display here in Acts uh, chapter 2. We need real conversions produced by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. The Word and Spirit go together. Okay. We have the Word. We can sow the Word. Peter preached the Word. And it's up to the Holy Spirit <laughs> to pour the water out on the seed. And he does. Uh, <clears throat> so that's what we're witnessing here. We don't need more Christians in name only. We need Christians who believe in the Jesus that, the, that these Holy Spirit-called apostles proclaimed. And we know the Jesus they proclaimed from the pages of Scripture, from our New Testaments and our Old Testaments. That's how we know who Jesus is, we, from the Word of God. That, that's, that's the sure way and that's why we're just walking through the New Testament and, and we, we're acquainting ourselves with who Jesus is, aren't we, by, by going through the New Testament, by going through the Gospels and going through the book of Acts. <clears throat> and that's what our faith uh, grows out of. So, um, Now, at the last part of chapter 2, Luke demonstrates, and, and your, your questions and comments are, are very welcome during our class, and they add, they add a, lot, a lot to it. Um, the, last, the next few verses, Luke shows us what, um, he describes what real Christians look like in these two verses. Then those who gladly received his word, well, that's, that's what real Christians look like. <laughs> you know, and I can tell when someone is being or has been conversion. You know why? They start reading their Bibles. It's very simple. They just start reading the Bible, the Word of God. And they, and they just want to read the Word. That's, you can tell. And that, that's a sure sign. They're self-motivated you know, to, to read Scripture and read the Word of God. And uh, that that makes perfect sense. So, and they were baptized. God, com God commands new believers to be baptized in Christ's name. So in that day, 3,000 souls were added to them. And in verse 42, we have this wonderful description here uh, in just one sentence. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or teaching. That's the word of God. So they had apostles, right? They had 12 apostles, so they could continue steadfastly. 
actually, in those, all 12 of those apostles are now, you know, they're teaching in the Jerusalem church, as well as Stephen and Philip. So you got at least 14. You got 14 gifted Holy Spirit inspired teachers in that church. And so they were continuing steadfastly in, in the apostles' doctrine. How do you do that? How can we do that today? Right. <laughs> By reading and studying what they wrote. <laughs> okay. So you too can continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And it's going to come by reading what they wrote. Okay. And the other way it's going to come is by listening to teachers who are faithful to what they wrote. Okay. So we too can continue in the apostles' doctrine because we have it written and God provides his church with men who, who handle the word of God, God correctly. None of us, we're not apostles, we're not prophets or popes or anything like that, okay? I don't have that much authority. I don't want to have that much authority, okay? Our authority is the word, the apostolic word is our authority that's been written down for us. So they, they continued steadfastly in, in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, okay, that's the next mark. Uh, <clears throat> one of the not only do new Christians desire the milk of the Word of God, the next mark is is when we're converted, we like to be with other Christians. <laughs> we like we're brothers and sisters all of a sudden, and we like to be with believers. <laughs> We like to be with one another. And that was immediately evident here with this New Testament church. They, they, the, and by the way, the, the adverb here, steadfastly, applies to all four of the uh, other verbs. Steadfastly in the doctrine, steadfastly in fellowship. Uh, and, and so, <clears throat> uh, yeah, we call that, you know, the church. The believers gathered together are the church, okay? And, um, and then the breaking of the bread. Um, most likely, this is a reference to the Lord's Supper, okay? I mean, the expression at times is, is used simply for having a meal, but uh, it's likely here. Verse 46 might be meaning that. Yeah, what, pardon me? Yes, yeah, that, I, I just, I gotta reload my, my verses here. I hit, down here in verse 46, what Brian is saying. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. So there, there the expression, uh, there the expression is, is used of their meal. Uh, now they could have been, uh, they could have been gathering in house to house and having a meal together and doing the Lord's Supper together. They, they could have been doing that. So, so uh, we don't know. We do know, of course, uh, the early church did practice the Lord's Supper very, very frequently, you know. Um, <clears throat> and so that's the third thing there is the, the communion, the practicing of the Lord's Supper 
which is done in remembrance of Christ's work. And then the fourth thing is, is they continued in prayer, steadfastly uh, in prayer. So, so there we see the infant church. The New Testament church is born on the day of Pentecost. And uh, what, a, what a wonderful thing it is. Um, so, yeah. Um, comments or questions? So, if they were all baptized immediately, is that the whole group of 3,000 at one time? That's what the text says, yeah. Otherwise, taking them one by one would take days. (laughs) Well, there's been a lot of discussion about that. there's interesting discussions about that because uh, those that those that baptize with sprinkling say, you know, you guys that we we believe in immersion, okay, we believe in baptism by immersion, and one of our our dear Pado Baptist uh, <laughs> brothers, one of the things they'll throw at us is there's no way you could have immersed, uh, you know, three thousand people in in one day. Well, there there are ways that could be done because number one. You got twelve. You got at least twelve apostles performing baptisms to begin with, and it's not impossible that once one was baptized, that they themselves baptized others. Okay, you were probably thinking that right. So, so there's no definition here that only the apostles perform baptisms on the day of Pentecost. There's another hundred. There were 120 disciples already with the twelve, and Stephen and Philip are in there. So, uh, and there's there's quite a bit of water around Jerusalem uh, and pools because of the ceremonial washings and all that that went on at the temple. So, um, I don't think that's a real. A, a real problem for us who believe in immersion. Yeah. Okay. Anybody else? Good question. Um, anybody? Okay. We will we will keep going. So, what Luke then does is he gives us a glimpse of the early church in verses forty through through forty seven. He gives a general description now of, of what's taking place here. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Ah, it's just a wonderful, it's a wonderful scene, isn't it? 
Uh, and let's let's think about it a little bit. I'm on page 276 now, the right-hand column, the early days of the Jerusalem church. When we consider the time from Pentecost to the beginning of Saul's persecution as the early days of the Jerusalem church, that's that's what I consider that period of time. So I've said this before, but I will repeat it. If Saul's conversion took place roughly two to three years after Pentecost, then the events reported here in Acts 2.43 all the way to chapter 5.42, they're all covered in like two and a half years. So we have, we have a description of this. Signs and wonders. Now this is, needs some explanation. Then fear came upon every soul as, or and, as many wonders and signs were done. Let's talk about fear here for a moment. Um, The witnessing of miracles, these kinds of miracles, (laughs) the witnessing of these kinds of miracles produces the emotion of fear in one. As one is exposed to an enormous display of God's power and intervention, witnessing such stirs up the feeling that we, that there is a power present which is completely beyond one's control. When we are exposed to such power, it's natural to not feel safe, but rather fearful. And that, I believe, is what's going on, and that is why I like the translations that retain the word fear. Okay? When, when you are exposed to Jesus raising somebody from the dead or you're exposed to uh, <clears throat> uh, Jesus calming the storm, just peace be still, and the ocean stops, and the miracles that these apostles were working, you are, you're exposed to this, this manifestation of power that is so great that you're fearful. It is so great. And you know, you, you get this small when, that, when you witness that power that's that great. And you know that you cannot control that. You, that power that was displayed, you know, you, you can't run from it. You can't stop it. You can't shut. You're not in control. And that's what I believe is going on in these biblical accounts where when people witness these miracles, you see it in the gospel and you see it here in the book of Acts, the emotion is fear. Okay. I'm not in control of this. There, there is a power that's displayed here that I'm completely not able to control it. And that produces, you, you just feel that small in front of that, you know. I mean, have you ever stood next to a lightning strike? <laughs> I 
I mean, have you have 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 you been in the forest and and heard that crack? <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> you you know, you're just fear is is the emotion. And so that's what's happening here as 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 they're witnessing the, the miracles performed by the apostles. Other than apostles also performed miracles. Stephen and Philip especially uh, are described in the book of Acts as, as, working, as working miracles. So fear came upon every soul, and as many wonders and signs were done through the apostles... Uh, <clears throat> Oh yeah, we're talking. We'll talk more about Stephen, but both Philip and Stephen also worked signs and wonders. And um, Stephen taught Greek-speaking Jews, and we'll see that Stephen taught Greek-speaking Jews in uh, from the dispersion in a Greek-speaking synagogue, and Philip taught the Samaritans and. Uh, both of their messages were confirmed uh, with the signs and the wonders. And, and one of the reasons these apostles work the degree of signs and wonders that they work is it authenticates their message. Okay? It authenticates that the message they have is from God. Okay? And that, that's also, you know, what, what's going on here. Uh, <clears throat> that people ought to listen to these apostles. So, um, okay. Now, as we're talking about this infant church here, uh, at this time, when we get into verses, let's see, yeah, 44 and uh, 45, um, at this time there is very little ethnic diversity not yet, not yet. These are almost all Jewish Christians, right? But they're surely, they surely had economic diversity from day one, don't they? Absolutely, right? You know, there's, there's multiple types of diversity in the church. It's not ethnic diversity is one. Economic diversity is another, isn't it? Okay, and educational diversity and age diversity. A healthy church has four diversities in it, okay? And uh, what we're seeing in this early church is we're seeing this economic diversity is immediately... I mean, they didn't have much opportunity right there, you know, to practice ethnic diversity because everybody in that city is Jewish. <laughs> but as soon as Stephen and, and uh, Philip get out of town... We see the Samaritans and the Greeks and all of this coming in. But even at the very beginning of this church, we see this wonderful economic diversity. Okay? And they have wealthy people in that congregation, and they have poor people in that congregation. Right out of the chute, they, they, have, they have that range of people and so what did they do? They cared, they cared for all of uh, their members in, the, in their 3,000-plus uh, church. 
right? And what do they do? Uh, all things in common was not communism, okay? They did not uh, artificially divide it. Uh, they had all things in common, which means they shared, those who had much shared with those who had little. And they did it willingly. They did it on their own, okay? What's that? Yeah, those who had little shared what little they had, right? And they and they sold their possessions and good and divided them among all. And here's a qualifying statement. See that divided them among all as anyone had need. Okay, and uh, they did such a good job of it, even though. Jesus said, the poor you always have with you. They did such a good job of it, we read later, that there wasn't a single person among them that was in need. And, and you know, being in need doesn't mean, you know, I need a big screen TV. I'm in need, you know. I don't have a big screen TV. In, in the historic biblical setting here, being in need is talking about, you know, the essentials. Food, clothing, shelter, those, those type of things. So uh, <clears throat> they immediately acted like brothers and sisters, right? They immediately acted as if they were a family that cared for and looked out for one another, okay? And so it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful sight. Um, so they're, they're daily... Uh, in one accord in the temple. So they're meeting daily, and they're in the temple. They're uh, teaching. The apostles are teaching daily uh, this large group of new Jewish believers. Most of them are all Jewish at this time. And uh, in the temple precinct there. Um, So, and they're sharing their meals together. And... uh, the Lord's Supper, likely. And they ate their food with gladness or thankfulness. They're grateful people. Uh, That's another sign of being converted. The Lord makes us grateful. We don't know how to say thank you until we're converted. I never did. I didn't know how to say thank you, God, for anything. Okay. But now these folks are glad. They're thankful Simplicity or sincerity of heart. <clears throat> Some of your translations might have sincerity of heart there instead of simplicity. Let's take a look. Uh, generous hearts. There's sincerity. Okay, <laughs> I thought so. If that is the right translation, transition, translation, what sad thing is coming up that violates that? Those of you that know the book of Acts. No. Oh, that, that's a problem that comes up later. Sincerity. No. Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah, sincerity. If that's sincerity of heart. It's, obviously, it's difficult to know the translation, but uh, simplicity of heart or... Uh, Sincerity of heart. It probably does kind of mean, you know, simplicity versus, uh, what's the word? Duplicity. Duplicity means not honest. And, and so 
that very well may be a contrast. We're starting out with no duplicity in the body of Christ, but by the time we get to Acts chapter 5, we have this tragedy with Ananias and Sapphira. So, Did you have your hand up, Jack? Oh, you, you, you were going to say Ananias and Sapphira? Yeah, yeah. So whether Luke has that in mind or not, you know, we, we, we don't know. But we know, we know that's coming uh, if we know the book of Acts. So um, verse 46, we've seen this multiple times already. This is the third time that Luke stops to point out the unity in the body of Christ there, that they were all with one accord in the temple. And uh, that's a wonderful thing, too. And that, of course, is going to be greatly challenged as the record unfolds. The widow, uh, the widow thing, uh, <clears throat> Brian, that's going to be a challenge to that unity, uh, the, the serving of the widows and the problems that came up there. And then as the history unfolds, there's more and more challenges to this wonderful unity that they enjoyed. Uh, earlier, uh, but the Lord, the Lord will preserve us <laughs> uh, even through through those things. All right, let's see what else I want to pull out of my notes here. <clears throat> Dan, was that yeah? When it talks about the one accord, there, that's an answer to Jesus's prayer for them. If we go back to John 17, where he was praying for unity for those disciples. Oh yes, for. So this is an answer to prayer, and he knows That's right. that they're going to struggle with it. So he was praying for them ahead of time. That's right. That's the dominant request of the Lord Jesus in his John 17 high priestly prayer, is uh, that they will all be one for the unity. Yeah. And we're really called to work at it, you know, striving together for the unity of the faith and bearing and forbearing with one another. And there's a lot of exhortations that... That, that we are to we are to work at that, and it requires love and self denial and forgiveness and 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 the devil you know I think you know the devil if he can make disunity he, you know he's awake twenty four seven working at trying to get the church just to further split up so but you're right, wendy that's a good point. We're seeing the Lord's Prayer answered in these places uh, for, for the unity. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Mm. Uh. Oh, yeah. I wanted to mention a historical note here. They're, daily they met in the temple. Okay. Yeah. Um, they're having this daily fellowship. And where they're meeting, we know, is Solomon's portico or, or the porch. <laughs> that doesn't work very well in English. But the, the thing being referred to here is Solomon's portico. And Josephus describes the hall as 650 feet long. Okay. <laughs> Think about that. 650 feet long. Okay. Um, 50 feet wide and with two rows of columns which were 43 feet high. This is huge. 
There's 32,500 square feet. Okay. So there was plenty room for a 3,000 and all of this space and activities going on there. So they had a pretty large crowd, but they could meet in the temple in that, that area. And, and that's what they were doing uh, <clears throat> as they were meeting daily in the temple. And, and uh, the apostles were teaching. And we're going to see that uh, they were also performing healings uh, in, in that place. So let me see here. Yeah. Yeah, we can also assume that this is a public space. It's a public space. So as they are meeting, unbelievers would be present and inquire, you know, who are these people? What are, what are, what are these people doing here? And uh, so that would give a lot of opportunities for them to explain that, hey, the Messiah has come. His name is Jesus, and uh, he's risen from the dead, and he's, out, he, he's pouring out the Holy Spirit, and, and he can forgive our sins uh, so all that would be going on in the, in this setting, uh, <clears throat> and we know evangelism was going on in that setting because what? First off, they're praising God, they're having favor with all the people. So, so they're having kind of a honeymoon here, <laughs> and and see that's broader. Everybody in Jerusalem isn't converted, or everybody that's around the temple isn't necessarily converted. But those, those that aren't converted are still looking favorably upon these new, this new Jewish group that is converted. They're, they're, they're having favor with all the people at this point. That, of course, is going to stop when the persecution starts here pretty soon. Uh, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So more people were continually being converted during this period of months. Uh, that's, that's what's going on. And, and uh, Luke uh, uses this monergistic language, this God-centered language about conversion. And the Lord added to the church <laughs> daily those who were being saved. And we pray every Sunday morning that the Lord would do that, right? <laughs> and, we, and we pray, uh, and the Lord can do that. And, and, and we can share the gospel and preach the gospel, but the, ultimately it's the Lord that adds to the church those who are being saved. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, grab the, the mic, I think, uh, where they has it. Um. Would this also be an example of an indication to us that Christ wants new believers to join a church? In other words, when you're saved, you add yourself oh, to the good church. Point. It's absolutely. Um, two things that should go together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those who are being saved, the Lord they're added yeah, added to the church. And in the New Testament, there's no there's really no separation like that. If if you're if you're saved, you're in the church, and 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 that's really how it ought to be, and and so we're not you know we're not solo we're not solo Christians, um, and uh, we really 
Yeah, it's a serious thing when when believers or professed believers, you know, withdraw from the body of Christ. Just the very fact that the church is called the body of Christ to withdraw from the body of Christ. We're not saying you have to be in the church to be saved, okay? We're not going to go to make that error. I mean, but that extreme, but yeah. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And uh, yeah, like I said up here, uh, they continued, um, oh yeah, in fellowship. Yeah. Now, being added to the church means more than just fellowshipping because the church is an institution that has authority and elders and, and, and structure, you know. Just adding, just attending a Bible study uh, with other believers, as good as that is, that that isn't equivalent with being in a church, right? Because being in a church has meaning beyond just people fellowshipping. It means the ordinances are practiced, baptism, communion, okay, church discipline is practiced, teaching. So, I'm sorry, I went off, Brian, it's your fault. (laughs) But it's, yeah, so, okay, so we have a glimpse there of of this early church. Any, anything else before we move on to the next, uh, next paragraph? Okay, now what Luke does in chapter 3 and I am trying to go fast. Uh, what Luke does in chapter 3 is he pulls out another singular incident. The last paragraph was general description of what the church looked like. And then Luke pulls out specific uh, happenings that he wants to put in his record. And now he's going to do that in chapter 3. He's going to pull out uh, an amazing miracle that Peter and John worked and uh, Many more people being converted. So let's let's dip into that some here. We we got a little bit of time left. So um, he selects another incident here, and uh, let's read the first uh, part of this. Now Peter and John, we know they're kind of buddies, right? <laughs> because in the Gospels, Peter and John are together all, all the time, <laughs> and it's still continuing here in the Book of Acts. It's Peter and John. And you talk about guys with the most radically different personalities. I mean, you know, when you read you read Peter, and and you know you read his letters, and you read the Gospels, and then and then you see John isn't that prominent on the in the Gospels. He's there, of course. And then you read John's writings, and Peter's right. I mean, these guys are are just they're just really different. <laughs> they're two of the most different guys emotionally that you you could probably find but and remember it's Peter and John what running to the tomb and John outruns Peter so here they are uh, heading up to the temple together Uh, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer the ninth hour now don't stow me Probably what this means, this hour of prayer here, is the Jewish hour of prayer prior to the evening sacrifice. Every day at the, at the ninth hour was the, what the law required was the prayer prior to the evening sacrifice. And that 
this is probably not a church prayer meeting. Okay? This is a Jewish practice at the third hour. Now, interestingly, Peter and John and maybe others went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer. So <clears throat> it's like they, they, they continued. Let me, let me get, the, I want to get this right. I'll get it out of my notes in the right place. Um, yeah, yeah, here it is. The disciples did not immediately distance themselves from the temple services and practices. Okay? They didn't immediately distance themselves from those. And we're going to see that Stephen, Stephen probably had a clearer understanding that all the temple services ultimately were going to be shut down, probably even clearer than the apostles. And we're going to see that when we see Stephen get into trouble uh, because Stephen does predict that the temple is going to be destroyed. And, 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 um, but these apostolic men initially and many of, many of these early Jewish believers, they're doing both. They're participating in practices of the temple as well as building up and becoming part of the church. They're doing these in parallel. Okay? And this is an example of that, the, the ninth hour of prayer that they're attending. And, and it's hard for us to appreciate how difficult the transition was, but it was difficult to know all, all that has been practiced for centuries and centuries centered around the temple, that all of that is going to go away. And that didn't all just disappear on the day of Pentecost, okay? And it didn't have to. You know, the Lord didn't say they, they had to immediately get it, but they had to switch their trust, <laughs> Their trust had to switch over to being in Jesus as the Messiah. So, so that's likely what, what they're doing here. They're still participating in the prayer before the evening sacrifice. Uh, the prayer at ninth hour would be 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Okay? So Peter and John are on their way uh, <clears throat> to that prayer at the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, okay, this this poor individual was born uh, paralyzed, at least from the waist down, uh, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. So this is a very public place. This is one of the gates into the temple complex. So there's, you know, there's probably thousands of people that go, go in and out of that gate every day in the center of Jerusalem, in and out of the temple precincts there. And so this, this uh, poor gentleman was um, uh, a standard fixture there. They knew him. They saw him. And he gathered alms every day, and that's how... He supported himself, and uh, so there he is to ask for alms for those who entered the temple, who, he seen Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask for alms, okay? And fixing his eyes on him, 
with John and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. Okay, so Peter and John... I'm fixing his eyes on him. I'm drawing a blank. I'm, I'm having trouble with the pronouns there. Um, I, I think it's Peter fixing his eyes on him with John. Peter said, look at us. Uh, so he gave them, the lame man gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And what's interesting here is um, Peter um, initiated this whole thing. Okay, uh, Peter said, "Look at us," and so Peter must already know that the Lord's going to heal this guy. Okay? The the order is a little bit different from. Uh, so, uh, I'm sorry. Look at us. So he gave him. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, "Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk." Okay. So the first thing you notice, I keep pointing this out. You say, "Dan, Pastor, you're, you're a broken record." Well, that's okay. Notice what he says. Jesus Christ, what? Of Nazareth. Okay. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Again, this is his earthly name. This, pardon me? That's right. Yeah, there were lots of them. And, 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 the, and the Jesus that is the Messiah is the one who came from Nazareth. Okay. And of course, we've said, you know, Unbelieving Jews would never refer to Jesus as Jesus Christ, correct? We, we all understand that now. Unbelieving Jew would never refer to Jesus as Jesus Christ. That's a miniature confession of faith. Jesus is the Christ. Well, which Jesus? Ah, the one from Nazareth, that one. Okay, that's why Peter is doing that. And, and he does that often. Okay, So... Okay, so in the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And it's just a wonderful scene. And he took him by the hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them. Okay. And the later text says, as they enter the temple, he's jumping. <laughs> and, they, and they enter the temple. Oh, yeah, it says it right here. Walking, leaping, <laughs> and praising God. Okay, so they're, they're on their way into the temple, and, and this guy is now walking, perfectly balanced. Okay, he's got all of he's got His balance is so good that he can jump up and down and not fall down. <laughs> okay. Some of us are getting older. We can't even do that anymore. I can still do that, praise God. But I know the time's coming when we're not going to be able to jump up and down to have my balance. So this guy's never walked before in his life, right? Right? I mean, we think about what Jesus did medically to this guy. 
I'm, uh, what's that? Not only a joint, a nervous system, brain programming. You know, it takes babies, what, like 18 months to learn to walk? That whole time, what are they doing? They're programming their nervous system that whole time. That 18 months is spent getting all those neurons wired in order to uh, control all those muscles. I don't know how many muscles it takes to walk and stand up straight, but a whole bunch. All of that's got to get into our brains, and all of that's got to get connected. And so healing this guy instantly did all of that. Okay? So that he could walk. I'm not going to show the leaping so that he could jump up and down. And what was he doing? Praising God. Okay? Praising God. He's walking, he's leaping, and he's and he's praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Okay? And they knew it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Okay. So now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. And we'll stop with verse 12. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Well, I think we would all marvel at this, okay? Why do you marvel at this? But he gives a little more explanation. Why do you marvel at this? Uh, Or look so intently at us, as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk. Okay. So they're looking at Peter and John now. <laughs> they're amazed. And then Peter is going to take the opportunity to address another large crowd of unbelievers. And um, so he starts right in there. We'll start there, uh, start there next week. So, any any comments or or questions? I have, I have one. Yeah. Um, the crowd is amazed at this single miracle, which is quite spectacular yes. given everything you just described. Uh, at the end of chapter two, it says that um, uh, I think it's in verse. Um, Uh, 40, oh, yeah. oh, 43. Yeah. Fear came on every soul. Many yeah. wonders and signs were taking yeah. place. Um, given the discrepancy, would it mean that most of those signs were happening within the body, or were those still being done to the public? You know, that's an that's a interesting question, Brian. You know, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, perhaps... Many of these were not in the temple, being being done in the temple. But when they're going from house to house, and they're and they're teaching in those things, yeah. Because it's not like uh, 
chapter 3, 1 is the only miracle. There's miracles going on. This is a period of, uh, could be a couple months in here. Yeah. And then there's also probably different people in the temple complex from day to day, right? Because thousands of people went through the temple complex, not every day. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we, yeah, we don't have that, that level of detail, but good. Anybody else? Uh, thoughts or questions? Okay, so <clears throat> we will run into the first case of persecution next week when we get into cha- chapters 3 and 4. We're trying to do overview, you know, so we're trying to go kind of fast to, to, to pick up the history, emphasize history things, emphasize some theological points uh, as we go. Okay. All right, Brian, why don't you lead us in prayer as we finish? Almighty God, we come before you, Father, and bow ourselves in your presence. We thank you for gathering your church here and for bringing those here, Lord, that need your word, that need your hope and faith, Lord, to sustain them in life. We all need this, Lord, and we thank you for granting that to us by the promise in the gospel we thank you that you have done this salvation, Lord, that you have the, are the one that has done this and not us. Mm-hmm. Lord, we could not do a single thing to save us, um, but you are powerful enough and you are gracious enough to not just save us, but to set us on the rock of Christ and to fill us to overflowing that we might share the joy and the gladness and the gratefulness that we have with others. And I pray that that would be known among us here mm-hmm. in this place, in this part of the community. Lord, um, our hearts are heavy with many uh, burdens uh, in the middle of the week. We pray that we would lay them all at your feet. We thank you for sustaining us daily. We ask that prayer and your word would be our guiding light and we would be our food, even as as it was the food of our Savior Jesus. Mm. We pray for those that are sick. We pray for those that have these surgeries coming up, that you would bless them. And we pray, Lord, that your word would be hidden deep in our heart, that we might not sin against you. Lord, let us desire to follow you as Christ did, Lord, where he loved every one of your commands. Not a single one, Lord, was he uh, found difficult to obey, that he loved them all. We pray that you would bless us as we go our way. In Jesus' name, amen.